Wagwan, everyone, and welcome to Film Shrapnel, your one-stop spot for everything movies. My name's Tobias, and joined with... <laughs> My name is Craig Tobias. Yeah, it's that's Craig. it. That's it. That's it. That's the one. That's the one. Hello, Craig. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And I'm especially excited because... Welcome to the second cage match! Yeah, basically, we just compare cage films, Nick Cage films. And uh, this is the second time. Last time, what did we do? We did um, Con Air and... Con Air and Lord of War. Yes, yes. Uh, Con Air, loved it a lot. Lord of War is also good, but the more I think about it, the more memorable I think Con Air is. Con Air is definitely the cagier of the two. Yeah. Sure. No, I think we talked a lot more about that film. We even recast it in a, as a modern thing, didn't we? We did. We recast a modern... We, we rebooted... We, we did a remake of Conair, and we still... We had to have Nicolas Cage come back to play Cyrus. It made sense. It made sense. It made sense. Well, Craig, I actually have a special guest for today's podcast. You didn't really get him, did you? I did, but the thing is, Craig, he doesn't. He doesn't like me very much. He won't. He won't talk to me. He won't talk if I'm talking. So, <laughs> uh. right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to leave the room. Otherwise, he won't. He won't get involved. But can I? Uh, but yeah, uh, he. He's here. He's in the building. Hang on. Let me just. I'll just go get him. We've just got to swap. Don't get him angry. I won't. Yeah. No. No. I'm, I'm not even allowed to make eye contact. Hello? Is it really you? Who else would it be? I don't know. It's, it's an honor. What can I say? It's a privilege to be here. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about you today. I hear you're going to talk about some of my films. Yeah, like uh, two of your most recent films. That, well, kind of recent films. I love... My films. Yeah, I know. Like you, every time you always put so much energy into them, everyone loves it. So much. Do you know which films we're going to talk about today? I don't. Why don't you tell us? So we're Fucking doing. Arrogant asshole thinks I know everything. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Do you Cage. know who you're talking to, Craig? Okay, this is the Cagey Cage, huh? Of all the cages. Uh, so we're going to be doing uh, Color Out of think, Space. Sorry. So I think my Nick Cage sounds more like Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so go on. What are we talking about today, Craig? So for our cage match, we're going to do another two Nick Cage films. We're doing Color Out of Space and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is really yeah. recent. Color Out of Space, I think, was like 2018 or something. So it's a couple of years ago. Something like uh, that. But still, pretty recent, even though it might be five years, I mean, but still recent. This is a really good episode for me, Craig, because we got to talk about, we got to watch a film I'd already seen and already really liked, and a film that I hadn't seen but had wanted to see, and I really fucking liked it. 
So this has been a great episode for me. Ah, okay, okay. I will tell you, straight up, uh, I wasn't massively impressed by both, to be honest. They were fucking, okay. Oh my yeah, God. I'm serious, You're I'm serious. I'm contrasting you today. Shit. I am. You're a piece of shit. I know, don't tell Nick Cage that, he'll be angry. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to bring him back in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be assaulted in the ears now. Yeah. Well, I won't bring him in just just yet. Uh, what film do you want to talk about first? Because um, I, I there's think... one one that I think is clearly the better film. Uh, so, like, do we talk about the better film first? Or we talk I, about the, the cagier film first? Ah, okay. Then I think by that you mean, uh, I'm guessing from the way you just said that, you think Colour Out of Space is the better film. And the cagier film is... Well, actually, I don't know. That's a difficult question because there is a bit of caginess in both of them. But... Colour Out of Space is very cagey. But The Unbearable yeah. Weight of Massive Talent is a film where Nick Cage not only plays himself, but also plays a younger imaginary friend of his from, his, from like this like 90s... 80s, 90s Cage is his, like, imaginary friend, which is... Oh, should we just talk... Can we... What do you want to talk about first? I want to... I think I want to talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent oh, first. Okay, then go on, then go on. I can sense you're excited. Let's do it. All right, hang on. I've got to swap my notes around. I had Colour Out of Space ready, but yeah. I, I also had Colour Out of Space ready, too. <laughs> Sweet. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about this because I've literally just finished watching it, like, watched it, like, a couple of hours ago. Um, loved it. Loved it. I thought it could have been better, but I, my initial impression was I really liked it. But uh, it's, I still think it's probably... Uh, th there's still a waste of potential there. I think you could have done more with the idea... Um, I would have liked to have had like a Spider Verse, you know, you know, like they did with the, with Spider Man in that cartoon movie. I would have liked a Spider Verse level Nick Cage movie where Nick Cage has got to team up with like all of his movie characters, through, or or he's got to call upon characters within him that he's played throughout time to like do something like that. I, um, I I totally agree with you. I completely yeah. agree. I think the story gets in the way of it. Uh, yeah. Th this whole thing about this whole car uh, cartel thing. Uh, I, I don't, Gun I, runners. Yeah, and then there's the whole thing with the family. I don't really care about the family. And, like, I don't know. The whole point is Nick Cage uh, having this chance to basically go Max Cage. And he does... Uh, some there's, have some good points some, here and there. There's but some I, moments, yeah, but it, it's definitely not maximum cage, is it? No, and it also needs the violence of cage as well, because some of his, like Mandy, for example, I haven't seen Mandy, I've seen bits of it, uh, but it's super violent, and like that's also a Nick Cage trait that Ooh. I think this film could have used as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the, the, there's like a tiny bit of violence, not a huge amount. You know, yeah, I, I think the, the violence could have been amped up. I think it could have been a bit more meta-focused. I think it could have been way more meta-heavy. Uh, I think that would have improved the film. Um, 
I think you're right. I think the story gets in the way. Um, it's just not it's not as big as you want it to be. But then maybe that's because we're living in the era of like all these mad superhero movies that we're expecting these crazy, ambitious ideas. And this is to today's standards, a pretty cheap looking film. I was actually super surprised when this film came out because I didn't find out for it for like ages. This came out last year in 2022. Yeah, it did. And I didn't find out for super long times. Like, how did this slip under the radar completely? Like, no, well, I, I knew about this film, like, in the build-up for it coming out. Like, I was pretty... I was, I was well aware of it, and I was quite excited to watch it. I just hadn't gotten round to it. And then you know, I, I think I used the podcast as an opportunity to watch it. It was like, okay, just sit down and watch it. You know, and I'm glad I did. I really liked it. But I, I do agree. I think there's wasted potential there, for sure. Yeah. Um, should, we, should we go into the concept of the film? So yeah, yeah. Nick Cage plays Nick Cage, and uh, he's like, he's going for a movie that he doesn't get, and the opportunity comes up where someone will pay him a million dollars to just hang out with him for a party. Um, so he takes it, because he needs the money. Neil Patrick Harris plays his agent. Fucking yeah. love Neil Patrick Harris. Um, and then he goes to this party to basically sort out his finances. He gets really friendly with the guy uh, played by Pedro Pascal. And then he's approached by the CIA who say to him that he's actually this drug runner. Uh, sorry, this gun runner. Um, and they need it to help him take him down. And then it sort of becomes like the interview after that. I haven't seen that yet. Okay, cool. Honestly, it's basically the same idea, um, basically. And I think you could have made it just more Nick Cagey. I, I think this could have been an opportunity to have a really original idea, a really original... Uh, because you've also got such a unique star in, in a role that's willing to take the piss out of itself, out of himself, and... <laughs> You know what, there's yeah, something on. I wanted to say about that, actually. I do feel that it's still not a very accurate Cage. I feel like at the beginning of the film, when we just, uh, we're just establishing Cage's situation, uh, a couple of things surprised. Well, the first is I think actually in real life, he's probably at the same time more crazier and also more calmer than that. I reckon... On like when he's around family, he's super cool and calm. He doesn't have these strange moments where he's uh, embarrassing his daughter. But I also think that we're missing out on the crazy side of him, in like uh, his gambling, uh, the crazy stuff he collects. Uh, like I have heard, he also has snakes and stuff like this. So you don't even see that. You see this kind of. Uh, I, it's a very strange version of him, which I don't think is very realistic, actually. Well, no, but it, I suppose it's not meant to be realistic. It's meant to be this sort of hyper version of Cage. I, so, I think it's meant to be like meme Cage. And but I, it's not I, even that really like that because then they could have made well, him even crazier so, because they, they, they've kind of mild him down, I think, a little bit. Well, so this is the thing. I, I, think, I think they want to tap into this meme culture around Nick Cage. But the thing is, Nick Cage doesn't really do the internet. So I don't think Nick Cage really understands the meme culture around himself. 
I don't think he hates on it. I just don't think he really gets it. I think he uh, takes each role seriously as he does them. And each decision he makes, once he's done with it, like he knows in the moment he made the right choice for himself in that moment for the character. And whether you sort of take these moments, edit them together out of context and make a 10-minute video of him losing his shit, he, he doesn't really get what people are seeing, you know, what, what they see when they look at him. So he's just sort of doing a pastiche of his own performances rather than an homage to the meme culture, if that mm. makes any semblance of sense. I guess that also plays into our expectations then, because we, yes. we, we are aware of both, whilst Cage only sees one side. So, mm -hmm. yeah, his expectations of how he should play himself are different to how we think he should play himself. Yeah, that's quite yeah. a good point. Uh, there's also another thing I wanted to mention uh, about early on in the film that kind of bothered me. <clears throat> uh, so it's like it's kind of like this idea that Cage is a has been, like he yeah. like, and like no one knows who he is or anything, and he's kind of fading or something, and he has to keep working all the time. I found that very weird because I don't think I don't oh. think anybody thinks of Nick Cage as a has been. I don't think no, anybody I, will forget no, about him. I, I, I disagree. I, I, I think there are periods of time where, I mean, look, we won't consider Nick Cage to be a has-been because the man is always working. He's always putting out stuff. And even his lesser-known stuff or less popular stuff are still good, still worth watching. He's often quite good in them. Um, but, like, with his output, because there's so much of his output that people don't like, people are very quick to call him a has-been because it's like, well, I've seen like a like 10 bad Nick Cage films since the last good one. So they, they're ready to write him off as a has-been. But, you know, just bear with him because eventually there'll be a pig or, you know, an unbearable weight of massive talent around the corner or a colour out of space. Every now and again, one of the films he makes, you're going to go, oh, my God, this is brilliant. He's brilliant in it. I really think Pig is such a good example that, like, on the surface, it sounds like such a dumb idea. Someone's pig gets stolen and he's got to go get his pig back. Like, it sounds like John Wick, but a bit slow. And yeah. it's actually a fucking brilliant movie, like a really, really good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, and Nick Cage might give one of the best performances, if not the performance of his career. Oh, yeah, I do agree. That's a good film, yeah. Shall we break the movie down a little bit? Um, what we like, what we don't like. I think I basically liked everything, if I'm honest. I just didn't love... I, I, I didn't love everything, but I liked everything, I suppose. Uh, the film opens with Con Air. Like mm -hmm. that a lot. Really like that. Um, and I'll tell you what, the whole movie, I thought I want to be Nick Cage's friend. <laughs> I really want to be his friend. You want to be Pedro Pascal. Well, you know what? So me and you have talked about this before. I've told you I don't really like Pedro Pascal because the few things I've seen him in, I don't particularly like him. Really boils down to Wonder Woman. Uh, but I haven't uh -huh. seen, I haven't seen everything with him in. 
Um, so I, I, I've not been a huge fan, haven't given him a massive chance. In this, not only do I want to be Nick Cage's friend, but I also want to be Pedro Pascal's friend. I want to be both of their friends. Pedro Pascal is quite good, actually, in this film. Like, he does He's, have quite good moments. Yeah, I really liked him in this. i tell you what I also liked. So, let, can we talk about his imaginary friend of, like, a young Nick Cage, which is also a pastiche of, like, his 90, 80s and 90s characters. You know, yeah. I, you get shades of, like, Wild at Heart and Vampire's Kiss in this young... Uh, this young imaginary version of Cage that you know only Nicholas Cage can see. Do you know where that uh, the idea of Cage comes from? I read about this. Go on. It's based on you can you, you can check this on YouTube. There's an interview with Terry Wogan in the UK where he came on like this, and he has he's just really nuts. It's like in the early '90s or something, and I think actually he's promoting uh, Wild at Heart. And he's dressed pretty much exactly the same. Really? Uh, as, yeah. So he's basically doing it, it from that moment in time. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Can you do an impression of um, Nick fucking Cage? Oh, my God. I, my, is that not the best line in the movie? <laughs> Nick fucking Cage! Amazing, amazing, honestly brilliant. On it, loved it, loved it. So yeah, I, I was gonna say you could have named this film C "Cage Meme" the movie. It really, it really is just that. And it's when you give me Nick Cage screaming his own name. I mean, fucking yeah. I wish I wish he'd I wish he'd done more screaming like he just. just Cage, Cage. I would have loved loads of that. Just give me just screaming it, screaming it in people's faces. Yeah, um, I would have loved him to have to gone a bit more crazier. I was actually expecting. Uh, I'm jumping ahead a bit here. So there's a point where uh, him and Javi, who is Pedro Pascal's character, uh, take LSD because they're going to write a movie, and they drive around Mallorca and they end up in some town in Mallorca uh, and it's like a bit paranoid and I'm just like <laughs> here we go come on is is the crazy shit we're, we're waiting for it did there was a bit of craziness their paranoia was quite funny yeah the, um, the, that seems amazing yeah I do I do quite like that like uh especially when uh Nick Cage tells Javi uh like those two guys having ice cream or coffee or something look over them again but then just just laugh as you look at them, and it just looks like <laughs> <laughs> this looks like a lunatic, and then, uh, and then they just start running. It's actually amazing. It's actually amazing. I I, I burst out laughing. I burst out. The, this is the thing. The the bits that were funny got really good, genuine laughs out of me. Like I, there were moments that I found really, really funny, and that was one of them. I really like that moment. Yeah, I was expecting more of that from this film. Yeah, I, I wanted more of that as well. I wanted more Nicolas Cage screaming. I would have liked a bit more um, mental frailty as well. Like the, 
the, the, this is the thing. We know that he's got an imaginary friend, which is a young version of himself. And it doesn't really play into the plot at all, like at all. And we don't really see it very much. I think it comes up three times, maybe four. But I think it's more. Yeah, I think it's four. Um, at one point, he kisses himself, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's not it's not like um, they don't explore it as much as I think they could have. Like I yeah. say, I think I think a lot of this film is missed opportunity, but it's still really, really fun. Yeah, um, it's still pretty fun. I, I, I did so sometimes feel that the, the younger Cage bits, I, I, my feeling was that when they wrote the script, they probably had like one time. And they thought, well, maybe we should add this a bit more and add it a few other times. But I still think it's not utilized enough. I, I, I agree. I mean, you, I think it's interesting that, because you were saying earlier about how he was like, um, uh, what were you saying? That he's like washed up. And like you don't really buy that he's washed up. I, like there's this period at the beginning where he's being all sad that he's Nick Cage, and it's like being Nick Cage, being Nick Cage is sad. And he's like, do you do you really buy? Yeah, no. you know, but are you even meant to buy it though? That's the thing. I don't think you're meant to buy it. I think it, this film really is very tongue in cheek. Doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest. But, you know, that said, uh, the setup to the film is basically that he's running out of money. And he, I think he, he's living in a hotel or something, and he's like $600,000 in debt or something. And so he kind of needs to take this uh, $1 million party uh, invitation thingamajig. And you, like, it does kind of make sense, like, because we, we don't need to think, you don't, the film doesn't need to try too hard to find the right stakes. Uh, for for Cage, because you can just look at basically his life. Like he's always he's always been known as a big spender who lives really wildly and gambles. So the idea of him being like uh, having some money issues here and there, and that being used to motivate and push the plot, that does make sense. That yeah, does have some. It. Yeah, you buy that very easily. So I give kudos to that. Like I, I, I thought that was good that they used that. And kudos to Nick Cage for being able to like joke about himself basically yeah oh by the way do you know who plays his daughter go on i don't know i forgot what her name is but you'll never believe who her parents are uh nick cage no no uh kate beckinsale or how do you pronounce it? Beck beckinsale and uh michael sheen no those shit. are her parents yeah i was like oh that's kind of crazy to think Michael Sheen. Yeah, the uh, the Welsh actor. Really? Yeah, another Nepto baby. A Nepto. Uh, no, she was alright. Yeah. Yeah, no, she wasn't bad. I thought everyone was pretty good in this film, if I'm honest. I liked everyone. And I, yeah, I, I think I like that they were. I, I like that they folded action in. I think you needed to. And I, I, I mean, look, uh, the only thing that. Like you, you give me Nicolas Cage holding his two golden guns from face off, but then you don't have him jumping through the air in slow motion, firing them both. Like, come on, come on, what are you doing? Come on, movie. Very you, true. You set me up just to knock me down. Like, come on, why didn't you? Why didn't you do that? Like, but so I, I like that they're folding action in. I just think it, there wasn't enough, you know, because obviously, like, because. 
you you build this bromance up and then you sort of get to this point where it's like brothers are forced to fight and then you think it's going to go into like a sort of into like an rrr kind of direction like a standoff it would have been really good and then uh and then they just sort of decide to team up you know because they because they love each other so much the sort of point break kind of uh logic they love each other too much to kill each other and what what's the line that nick cage says when they have their standoff in the middle of nowhere and they start getting shot at by the cousins and he's like always trust uh what does he say my my shamanic instinct is a thing <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, he's just brilliant. He's brilliant. I love. I I really love uh, Cage and Pascal's relationship in this. Yeah, I, you know there was some other stuff like that. I I was thinking a bit was was a bit off. <clears throat> um, so about like Pascal's character specifically, like the idea of the the cartel in Spain felt really odd to me. It didn't mm. seem, Out of I, place. I yeah, like I think of it, when I think of cartel, I think of like uh, Mexico or I think of yeah. um, Colombia, which funny enough, uh, pa Pedro Pascal was in Narcos. By the way, he was also called Javier in that uh, show. I don't know if it's supposed to be a connection there. Um, Maybe it's a reference, yeah. Yeah. And so I, when I think of Spain, I, I don't really think of organized crime. Yeah. And this kind of like super wealthy gangsters. Um, so that was a bit weird. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, also apart from that, there's this, so the, the main reason the FBI want to catch him is because they think he's the head of the, this cartel in Spain that's kidnapped the president of Spain's daughter. So he will back out of an election. And uh, the idea yeah. that the U S government are just going to go there and, this helping behind the scenes, they send two agents, two agents, which also mm. is quite funny, but also just the idea that the US government is even involved and not working with Spain, you know, as if they're the, kind of the heroes. They do make mistakes though. Like they think that Javier, uh, Javi is the, uh, the boss when he's not, it's actually his cousin Lucas. But uh, I don't know, it just felt a bit too pro-American E to me, this idea that America's secretly out there trying to save the world and do good. You know, did, did you also think that or is it just me? Yeah, I mean, well, because, you know, even the soundtrack reflects it. I think the soundtrack's very sort of like uh, patriotic, like a bit of, a bit, a bit, of con bit of country. You know, that there was that one song uh, and it always gets me in the feels. Is that a keep me in your heart for a while? I think that's the name of the song. It was in Watchmen as well um the snyder one but it, it always catches me in the feels it's a really sad song but it's very like you know it you know it, it really sort of brings to mind images of america so yeah I, I agree i i felt the presence of america a lot in this movie it, it did feel somewhat patriotic yeah i found that a bit off mm. but um yeah not I, to I, hang on it too much yeah I quite liked how Nicolas Cage's Mind Palace looks like an acting studio. Like it proper looks like an acting studio when he talks to himself in his mind to, to young Cage. And like 
it's sort of him in a black room on a spotlight. Mm. It, it's basically an actor's studio. And I thought that that made an awful lot of sense. And I quite like that. And then they sort of hatched the plan that his acting was going to save the day. So he's going to play Sergio. And I think it's kind of brilliant that he does it really badly. It's a really bad performance of Sergio. I, I quite enjoyed it, though. I found it quite funny. It's amazing. It's exactly what it needed to be. But I was expecting, like, one of the best performances of all time. And he doubles down on making it, like, really fucking mad and unrealistic and just go, go for over the top. And I loved it. It really worked. It really, really worked. Um, but I like becomes, the idea that his acting can save the world. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say he comes across not as like a mafia guy, but more like uh, some aged footballer from Italy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like Maradona. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this. I, I was thinking the whole way through the movie, I think Trey Parker and Matt Stone should have done this. I think they would have done this better. Because they kind, really... they kind of already did. I, I think Team America, if you've done Team America, but instead of five people, it's just Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, look, listen, we're basically rewriting this film. Yeah. You, I think we should rewrite this film and basically do Team America, but just Nick yeah. Cage. And it's, ba and it's because he's so good at acting. <laughs> he's so he good at <laughs> and he utilizes his different like uh crazy characters from from his uh career yeah that that, that, that would be massive yeah he he can take on many disguises there is there is no there is no not there is nowhere that he cannot blend in you know he he is just such a chameleon you know he's played chinese before i think <laughs> i'm sure More he's film. played chinese I think he, I think he was Chinese in like uh, Grindhouse, the the Death Proof and Planet Terror double feature. He's in a trailer, like a fake trailer in the middle. Oh, I need to double check that. I don't remember that. That sounds yeah. crazy. So it, it's he's such a chameleon. He's such a chameleon. He can assimilate into anywhere. He can assimilate anywhere. He is the perfect secret weapon for the CIA. That's what the movie should have been. That's what the movie should have been. But you know, we can still we can still make a, a, we, a sequel to this film. And no, but it, it could still be, be it could still be a bromance as well. It could still yeah. be a bromance as well. You could have just had Pe Pedro Pascal be his like number one fan. He just follows him around everywhere, and he keeps giving away his position. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, look, I know you love me, and I love you too, but I work for the government. <laughs> <laughs> we're giving away our position so yeah like and Pedro Pascal could still do the exact same character again I loved him in it I really liked Pascal in it um, I, I really liked when uh, when they uh, free the girls from being kidnapped uh, when he's Sergio and they get out and they get into like a truck and then Nick Cage runs around the corner shoots the bad guy and then the girl who got kidnapped at the beginning, because she's had a blindfold on, she's a, a blindfold comes off. Nicholas Cage shoots him. And she was watching Con Air at the beginning of the film, remember, when she gets kidnapped. 
Mm. And and it's just like, imagine being her. You, <laughs> you've been kidnapped. And who saves you but Nicolas Cage? Because who else? Of course, of course it was Nicolas Cage. You would think you were losing your mind if that happened. No, I'd just be like, oh, I suppose Arnie was busy. So Cage came. <laughs> hey, Cage is like, you know, Cage is like the understudy to Arnie. They could play Batman and Superman. I, I was also thinking about Superman Cage and also 007 Cage and other varieties of Cage that don't actually exist oh. yet and how they could have been potentially used. Oh, mate, I think, I think we should rewrite. Well, let's not rewrite the unbearable weight of massive talent, but let's start writing. Let, maybe we could start, the, maybe this could be the beginning of a new genre of like Nicolas Cage movies that are aware that they are Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> and generate a brand new genre. Because I actually do think there's so much scope for just taking the piss out of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> there's so much you can actually do. It's kind of insane. Um, like I say, I think you could do like a multiverse of different things. Do you like how Cage sort of ends the film as like learning to be a better Cage? Like being a better Cage is possible, but he's a better Cage now. I didn't really care for it, to be honest. No, neither did I. I think he should have carried on being Nick Cage. Yeah. Maybe you should have ended it where the CIA offer him a, a, a permanent gig and then it sets up sequels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just felt very uh, kind of cliche, really, at the end. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. You know what it actually reminded me of? Uh, it reminded me of uh, Austin Powers Free. Yes, yes. When they end the movie with like another movie, but it's the same movie of the movie you've just watched. Yeah. Yes, I, I wrote that down, Austin Powers style ending. I wrote that down in my notes. Yeah, nice. And I, like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of a bit... Mm, mm -hmm. it's, it's too obviously taken from that. I don't know. I, I agree. I agree. Um... One one thing uh, I want to talk about before, because I think we pretty much cover everything. So one thing I want to talk about before we rate the film. Um, we are movie guys. We love movies. And Pedro Pascal, uh, we talk about his top three favorite films in this movie. Uh, number one is Face Off. Uh, which Nick Cage, when he tells Nick Cage, Nick Cage is surprised. <laughs> Which I, yeah. think is I think it's great that Nick Cage is surprised that Face Off of all movies is his favourite film. But I understand. I fucking love Face Off. I think it's a really, really good film. And they're right. John Woo really is a maestro. So I, I do agree. I, I think Face Off is a great film. Not my favourite, but it's a great film. Do you like Face Off? I, I yeah, it's been a while since I watched it. Actually, I think we sh we might do a pod on it. Maybe it might be an idea. Uh, I know I, it's so good. I really like Face Off. I was just thinking if we did another cage match and we did uh, Face Off, I would it would be hard to find something to put it alongside with because it's it, it goes know, on par a little bit with I, Con Air and this craziness. Is the, this is the thing. I don't actually think we can do Face Off for a cage match because it's already. 
a cage match between Cage and Travolta. So I think mm. I think maybe we do face off, but we'll all but the cage match is between Cage and Travolta. Who is the biggest overactor? Who gives the biggest, most ridiculous performance, and still is really good? Mm-hmm. That's an idea. That's an idea. I'd probably be surprised at who I would pick for that. Well, Travolta. I mean, I, I don't think of him so much of it for his crazy roles, but well, yeah, when I think of Face Off, the idea that he has to basically match Cage, I think he does I mean, a good job of doing that. Well, the thing is, he's not just matching Cage, but he's becoming Cage. Like John Travolta is doing a Nick Cage. We should save this for Face Off, but basically, Nick Cage, uh, John Travolta is doing an impression of Nick Cage in the movie. And vice versa, Nick Cage is doing an impression of Travolta. And they're both known for being over-actors, but for different reasons. So they're sort of like over-actoring each other. Who can do it the best? And I personally think Travolta is very, very good in Face Off. I think Travolta is better than Cage in Face Off. But I, if I'm honest, I think the movie would be amazing if you just if you didn't do a fucking face swap thing at all. If you just had good guy Travolta chasing bad guy Nicolas Cage, I think even that would have been a good movie. You could have done a prequel to Face Off where there is no fucking magic surgery that can make you a completely different person. But you just have these two guys fight each other across the world. I think that would have been a really good... I like the characters. I like the actors. I think that would have been good on its on its own without the face-swapping gimmick. Mm. But, yeah, but let's save that for face-off. Let's do that. We, we will talk about face-off one day, but not today. Not today. Um, the second film on uh, Pedro Pascal's list was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which I know you've seen, Craig, because I've seen it, and you must have seen it. We, I, it a, did you not watch it at uni? I watched bits of it at university, but I have not seen the whole film. Oh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the whole film. Oh, I'll listen to you. So pretentious. Well, I mean, I watched it at uni. It doesn't really count. I didn't have a choice in watching it. It was just... Did you watch the we whole thing? Yeah. Hmm. Watched okay. the whole movie. It was... There's like a twist ending at the end, which I... It, it, I mean, look, it's a very old film. But... Hold on a minute. How old? How long is that film? Oh, I think like it's an hour not... and a half, two hours, something like that. Okay, okay. It's a feature. It's not a short film. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it is good, and the, the twist, it's the first twist of its kind. So, like, you might recognise the twist. I won't spoil it. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a twist that you might have recognised throughout cinema, but this is the first example of it. So this blew people's minds when it came out. And the third film on Pedro Pascal's list is Paddington 2, which I haven't seen, Craig. They joke that it's a very emotional film. Have you seen it? Because I know no. you have a kid. Well, I I feel like I need to go and watch Paddington 2 now. Nicolas Cage has basically said to me, you need to watch Paddington 2. 
the I feel like the only thing wrong with Paddington Two is going to be that Nicolas Cage isn't in it. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if it's actually really good now. I don't know. I, ho I hope so because I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I feel like because I, I had a mate who didn't like action films and then they watched Hot Fuzz and then because of Hot Fuzz he watched Point Break and Bad Boys Two and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I was like, and what do you think? He was like, oh, it was fucking amazing. It was fucking amazing. So maybe this will be, be Paddington 2. I had no interest in Paddington. I've not seen the first Paddington. I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to go straight to Paddington 2 because Nick Cage said it's a good film. So I'm going to watch it. All right. All right. Sure. Well, Craig, should we rate this motherfucker? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Let's, let's rate this one. I mean, um, out, out of Nick Cage's, how would you rate it? Well, see, when I was watching it, I was thinking that I was a bit disappointed. Uh, I felt that, yeah, like we've said before, it's a, it's a missed opportunity. And I was thinking, is it really worth the rating that it currently has? I think you're like on IMBD, it's like about six or a seven or something. Mm -hmm. uh, Rotten Tomatoes, like maybe it's 80% or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, or maybe at least 70. Sometimes Rotten Tomatoes is a bit overly hyped, I find. So I was thinking, hmm, I don't know if it really feels that high. Uh, because, but that, now I'm thinking more about it. Now that we have spoken about it and how we feel, yeah, it is a missed opportunity. But it's still a good film. So maybe, yeah, maybe seven out of 10 Nick Cages is okay. Uh, mm -hmm. But I feel that it could have been a 10 out of 10 Cage. Yeah. And what about its IMDb rating? What do you think it rates as as a movie? Well, I think it I think it was some when I checked it, um I watched it only a few days ago and I can't remember. I think it was seven something. Maybe it's okay, but still like the, the idea that it could have been better still nags at me and wants me to drag it down. But then mm. again, I feel that like I'm being a bit of a prick, so I'm not gonna do that. Uh so maybe maybe seven out of 10 IMBD roughly does make sense, I guess. I wouldn't put it as an eight. Um, if it had a bit more action and a bit more craziness, I probably would put it an eight. If it yeah. went the kind of meta way that we were expecting, it'll be a 10. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, on I, my rating will be a bit higher than yours, but basically the same logic and the same reasoning, like it's not a 10 out of 10 cage uh, you know, 10 out of 10 cages. It just isn't. Vampire's Kiss is definitely 10 out of 10 on the cageometer. But for this, like for a movie that's about Nick Cage, played by Nick Cage, referencing all of Nick Cage's career and everything, I did expect a bit more. So, I, but you know what? I, I, I'm not going to go any lower. I just think the concept on its own is an eight out of 10 on its own. And then the movie itself does a decent job. So I don't think I can go any lower than an 8.5 on uh, cages, 8.5 out of 10 cages. But I, I actually think it might still deserve a nine. It might deserve a nine because it's still an, an original uh, idea, but there's just so many shades of stuff that we've seen so, you know, so many other places. Um, but it does feel a bit fresh, fresher than a lot of the stuff we've seen recently, at least. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, maybe a nine, but yeah, I, I, I'm gonna go eight point five cages out of ten, and I'm gonna go. I, I think I'm gonna go with a seven point five IMDb rating. I thought the movie was good, but I just thought there was so much more scope. I think this could have been a ten out of ten movie with the right, uh, with the right viewpoint. I with just, us I, writing it. Yeah, basically, if we wrote it. If we wrote it, then yeah, it would have been way better. Maybe we should rewrite it. Maybe I think we should. Let's. I tell you what, Craig. Let's schedule this next rewriter's room. We'll do Nick Cage the movie. Yeah, no, that would be the actual title, Nick Cage the movie. Yeah, we'll have Nick, movie in its name as well, Nick Cage yeah. the movie. <laughs> the Nick Cage movie, the movie. Yeah, a sequel, but doesn't doesn't need to have the same. It's not, not a sequel. No, no, it's not a sequel. We'll just we'll just do our own movie. That's just the Nick Cage movie. I, yeah. I think we I think we could come up with a better idea altogether. Yeah, I like. This. I do. This I, I do. I do still like the movie, though. I do still like the movie. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I mean, reflecting yeah. on it a bit more, talking about it. Yeah, it was, it was good to watch. All right, so Craig. Let's move on to movie two. What are we talking about? We're talking about Color Out of Space. Yes, we are. This was uh, this was my pick. You picked our last film. I picked this one. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how to break it to you. Uh, I wasn't a massive fan of this film. It was all right. Idiot. I know. Brilliant. I know you're going to hate me. Uh, but I think part of the reason why... Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of this film. It's because it's a H.P. Lovecraft uh, okay, well, story. But and, well, and that's cool. That's totally cool. But my problem is, is that I've seen so much H.P. Lovecraft stuff recently that I think I'm a bit uh, ex exhausted, especially because of uh, Gu Guillermo del Toro's uh, Cabinet of Curiosities. I think like three of the yeah. uh, stories are H.P. Lovecraft ones. And then this just feels... It just felt... Yeah, too well, too similar to that stuff, you know. Okay, so for me, um, I, I really like this film, and I'll, I'll tell you why. And I think it's probably the reason why um, people don't like this film, and probably the reason why Cabinet of Curiosities hasn't get been getting a lot of traction, uh, at least in the circles I run in. Um, the uh, the the, the the very nature of cosmic horror, you know, it just works better in a book. You know, when it's when it's some unknowable uh, thing, you know. So in 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 this movie, Color Out of Space, we are talking about a color that doesn't exist on the spectrum that we have seen on Earth. This is a completely unique color that that we've never seen before. It's sort of pinky, purpley, but that's just the only way people can equate like the likeness of this color. It's a color they've never seen before, right? So you can describe that really quite beautifully in a book and the audience can read the book and then they can fill in the blanks and they can have this idea of what this color might possibly look like. But then when you make a movie out of it, you have to quite literally show the color. And, you know, when you talk about Cthulhu 
or you know any of these other cosmic horror uh, stories, they are so much better when they are in books because like they'll be described as like having the aura of a thousand deaths or some shit like that. And it's like, they don't specifically describe the creature, but they describe the essence of the creature and the audience is left to fill in the blanks. Yeah, you're, you're taking the imagination away from the reader yes. and you're, when you give it to the viewer, you're deciding what they're seeing. Yes. Yeah. Interesting point. Interesting point. Mm -hmm. I, I, well, th that's why I think cosmic horror doesn't really work in cinema. Um, and I think Color Out of Space does a very, very good job of uh, delivering a cosmic horror in a film. Shall we quickly go over what happens in the film? Okay, let's do it. Um, so go for it, you, Craig. All right, I'll go for it, although I might miss some stuff. Uh, so basically, we have a bit of an odd family. Uh, we have Cage, who I'm not sure what he does, actually, his character. Uh, uh, his wife is a trader, I think. Uh, and they have three kids, an uh, almost adult teenage boy, uh, a teenage girl who's also a Wiccan. And they have one boy who is like, I don't know, seems a bit old to be holding teddy bears, but he does. And they live in the middle of literally nowhere on the, I guess, some farmland that uh, Cage's father's. They, um, they, have, they have an alpaca farm for some fucking reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the oldest son smokes weed with uh, Tommy Chong, who yeah. is, is living on mate, their land illegally. Mate, I, I, I love that Tommy Chong is in this movie. And not only do I love that he's in, in this movie... I love that he's playing himself in this movie. Yeah, he basically is, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> love it. Love Tommy Chong in this. So what happens in this film is basically uh, a meteor lands in their garden and then some freaky shit starts happening to all the things that live around and they start going crazy. Um, and I think, yeah, at the end of the film... Uh, I'm not actually too sure exactly what happens. We see in the eyes of the the teenage girl uh, some crazy shit happening out in space, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. Well, so, I mean, the, it's hard to explain, isn't it? Because it, it sort of, it goes into the metaphorical at the end. I felt there was huge Evil Dead vibes, and I thought there was huge 2001 Space Odyssey vibes. And it's like Evil Dead meets 2001. Mm. And like even in the ending where it just goes sort of metaphysical and like everything you're seeing is just so, uh, so difficult to comprehend. You know, you don't really know what's going on. But basically they all get incinerated, except that fucking hydraulic guy. Some random dude. Hydralist. Right. Hydralist. So that, that's the one character I didn't like because it's just like, it just shows up and it just feels like he's the one guy that's able to give just the right exposition required to understand what's going on with the water and the electricity. And it's like, oh, you're lucky this guy rocked up, but you're not even that lucky because you all still fucking died. 
<laughs> you know, I, was, I have a lot of notes on him, actually. Uh, but uh, before I, we get to that stuff, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned 2001 Space Odyssey. I didn't really think of that connection, but now I kind of see it. Uh, but actually, what I initially thought of, particularly around the end, uh, was Solaris, actually. Uh, oh, yeah, 1970s yeah. Russian film. Yeah, um, yeah, there's Solaris vibes in there. I was almost half expecting uh, at the end that when it, when it zoomed out and you see the destruction from the from the color, uh, I was expecting um, it to be in the middle of like a, an ocean, strange ocean planet, like in Solaris. I was ex- I, I was almost expecting that because it felt like it would have suited it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, I really liked it, and I I think because it's obvious that this film had a low budget. And I think the low budget really doesn't affect the quality of the film at all. The film is still a well-made movie. It's well put together. It looks good. And the use of color is great. Uh, Some editorial choices are nice. There's some cute flourishes. Mm. There's a lot of shots. The cinematography is really good. There's a load of shots that are super picturesque. The, The tone of the film is super ethereal and... And like otherworldly, like there is all there's immediately this sense of otherworldliness, you know, from the get go, the sound, even in the credits, even the sound just has you on the edge of your seat. Like there's a there's an edge to everything. It it, it already feels like there's a sense of foreboding throughout the, you know, even just the opening of the film where nothing's really going on. Yeah, I, I, I now I think about it. It doesn't, it, although it, it, for a low budget film, it's not something you really thought about. I yeah, mean, it it, get, it gets away with it quite nicely. Uh, was, did you notice this theme of like threes or triangles? Because there's a there's a triangle window in the loft or attic. There's a triangle brooch that the that the girl the daughter wears. And obviously there's three kids. There was a couple of other things that I, I remember writing down. I just can't find them in my notes. Um, did you notice anything like that? I, I wonder if there's this maybe a religious uh, religious iconography. Because obviously she's like a Wiccan or she thinks she's a Wiccan. She's doing some last airbender bullshit at the beginning. Like <laughs> she thinks she, she, she's into some like black magic shit, some spiritual ritual bollocks that she's doing at the beginning. Like she's into something, so like that maybe there's these themes of sort of higher powers, higher entities, and then we also get it in aliens as well. That's interesting. I didn't actually pick up on that, but I'm wondering if there's a way you can connect that to like an alien invasion or something. But when you say religiously, when I think of three things, I think in Christianity you have uh, the Father, the Ghost, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's the first the, thing I think of in freeze. The, the Holy Trinity. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. That it's yeah. This is like religious. This is like a a, a reference uh, to religion. This is religious iconography, and they're not doing it so advertly, like to have a cross. They're doing it with a triangle, but it's still there. You know, this idea of the Holy Trinity. How would you feel if you went to a farm, and then someone tried to make you drink? alpaca milk uh well i didn't know that alpacas even made had milk but yeah i think all mammals actually make milk for their babies don't they uh i i me personally i would probably try it actually i wouldn't i would be up for that 
you would you would try but watching it being freshly squozen from the teat yes would you not do that for a cow milk if you saw a cow no. being you wouldn't no. oh my god i'm i'm like the guy i'm lactose intolerant i don't want any of that shit no thank you sir no thank you i'm good i'm good you're missing out on life man you're missing out on life my milk if i have any milk needs to be made out of nuts and i don't mean that in a sexy way <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that was really bad <laughs> okay so let me ask you one question you would drink the llama so the alpaca milk uh would you drink the brown water because they say it's fine to drink they're like oh yeah it's like this every year it's just a bit early this year so like you drink the alpaca milk would you drink the brown water uh that's interesting because but the hydrologist says uh not to drink it right because he thinks there's something wrong with it uh test it yeah i i would listen to the hydrologist if he said not to drink it well, he is a hydrologist convenient yeah. he's around isn't it but he's let's say he's not around because he wasn't around when you did when you decided to drink the alpaca milk so if he wasn't around and the locals are saying to you yeah it's fine you drink yeah, it I right probably, i probably would have yeah now i'll be yeah. dead <laughs> I'd, I'd drink it i'd drink it um it's interesting that pink slash purple can be like a scary color I feel like they did a good job making a color scary in this film. It was the only natural color they could really choose. Because, like, if it was green, I mean, green is something we're so used to, especially in the forest. It's everywhere. Like, I think it's, isn't it supposed right. to be the, the shade of color that we can see the most shades of? Yeah. You no. Know? Uh, so it had to be something opposite to that, green, something pink green and purple. Is, green's quite soothing a color as well. Greens and blues are quite soothing, whereas, like, reds pigs, oranges can be quite aggressive. And not something you see so naturally. Shall we also talk about the, the director? Uh, go for it. What do you want to say about him? Uh, so this is his first film since uh, directing Dr. Moreau. Uh, was it Dr. Moreau's Island? Or what? With uh, Thingamajiggy. With Marlon Brando. Uh, yeah, this is his first film since then. Really? He took like a 20-year gap of directing. I suppose the island of Dr. Moreau basically killed his career. Yeah. So that's really interesting, I think, that, yeah, a huge gap. And then he, he comes back with this. Interesting. Uh, and also Elijah Wood is one of the producers of this film as well, which is interesting. Maybe he wanted to be the little boy. And they were like, <laughs> look, at Elijah, like, look, you just don't look young enough anymore. And they were like, but I was in the habit. You, you could make me really small. And you're like, oh, Elijah. You know, that face of yours just ain't ain't young enough anymore, mate. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so uh, besides the meteor, so the, when the meteor crashes, does the meteor go missing before or after the mum chops her fingers off? Which, of course, is a massive fucking red flag to know something's <laughs> going wrong. It's like, oh, okay, we better fucking go. Go, something's going on. She just cut her fingers off. She don't remember cutting her fingers off. Wouldn't you just fucking leave? You'd leave, wouldn't you? Yeah, I probably would. I'd probably be too freaked out. The scariest part of this film for me, uh, because I find, uh, I think kids speaking to ghosts is really scary. I don't like that. That freaks me out. Uh, and then there's a bit where the little boy is like 
whistling or something and the girl's like oh what are you talking to he's like i'm talking to the man in the well and mm. he's got some like major red rum vibes some major shining vibes and uh and then she hears a whistle coming from the well and it's like you'd shit yourself you'd fucking leave you wouldn't stick around for that you'd be like all right there's a fucking there's something in the well let's get the fuck out of here that's not on Call the Coast Guard. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Coast Guard get, in the middle of the get, forest. Get the army in. I don't give a shit. There's something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. Yeah, but then the movie couldn't happen. Yeah, I suppose so. I but suppose can I, so. Can I also interject here, like, that I did find... what My biggest problem with this film uh, was that I felt that the dialogue was a bit weird a lot of the time and a bit too too much mm. exposition through it. I, I I felt that they could have done like another one like another once over on the dialogue. Yeah, here I, and agree. There. I um, agree. I agree. You know what else as well? I I found it very weird. Uh, one of the weirdest points in the movie in an odd film, where so when the hydrologist arrives. Uh, yeah. After the meteorite. By the way, I have to to get to the point I'm going to make. I have to make a detour. Uh, so, the, after the meteor arrives and people, uh, the mayor comes and they check up on it. Uh, they like to the hydrologist. Hey, you want to have a look at this? Is it like, yeah, like he he's an expert in meteors. Yeah, <laughs> he's a fucking he's a water expert. So yeah, surely he's the right guy to check a fucking meteor. Um, but anyway, around that same time. Uh, the mother picks up on the daughter kind of like maybe liking him and she she says it she basically brings it up to her and she gets really upset and starts listening to some uh heavy metal or something and crying and i thought that was really odd like i i, I don't know if that was realistic I, mean, I don't know if she really would uh get that upset yeah yeah well i mean again i think it's just a tried and tested trope from these films Let's not forget the last time the man who made this film made a film was 20 years ago. He he comes from a time where this dialogue probably wouldn't be so shit. <laughs> and there's another right. bit as well. Speaking of Sorry. bad writing, the name of the fucking girl. Her name's yeah. Lavinia. Lavinia. What the fuck kind of name is Lavinia? That's bollocks. Bollocks. I, I'm sorry, but I'm not. I can't. I can't get into my. I can't suspend my disbelief around fucking Lavinia. What kind of parent would call their kid that? And surely, if you had a kid called Lavinia, you would just call her Liv for short, right? You would. You would shorten that down. Yeah, because what does Cage call her? Lavinia. So you may as well just, yeah, I think he calls her Lavinia at one point. He's like, just call her Lavinia at that point. You're not even yeah. shortened her name. You're right, Craig. You call her Liv. You call her Liv or Lav or Vinny. <laughs> Vinny. Vin. They all make more sense. Yeah, than fucking Lavinny. Lavinny and Lavinia. Nah, that's fucking shit. I just noted, uh, I noticed a similarity between these two films. Uh, uh, Color Out of Space and The Unbearable uh, Weight of Massive Talent. Is that both films have a family around Cage? Yes, yes. He's a family man in both. Yes, and he's also a bit in, crazy family man in both. This, this is it. 
in one, he learns to be a better family man. And in the other, he doesn't. In the other, he basically kills half of his family. Yeah. <laughs> After the wife cuts her fingers off, this is about the, so that's about the point where everything starts going fucking weird, right? Like sort of half an hour, 20 minutes, half hour, 40 minutes into the film. And then Cage starts going like full Cage. Like you can tell something's not quite right with him. And like he's talking to his daughter and he's like, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Or something like that. And it's mm. like, and it's like, oh, oh, here we go. Cage is coming off the leash slowly but surely. Um, and then he gets attacked by some like goo in the shower, some kind of sentient goo that never, that never becomes important again. But like, there's a yeah. few things. There's a few things that happen where I'm like, okay, what is this fucking color and what is it doing? Because you've got the phones, like there's one point where the phone rings and it's just static on the other end of the phone, that kind of trope. And they never explain why it's doing that. Um, they, you've got fucking goo monster, like little goo alien monster thing. You've got people kind of being possessed as well. Like you've got people. And then I think, so coming up, We'll get to it, but the fucking big thing is this thing confuse or make two different biological creatures assimilate one another, but they can basically fuse two creatures together and not in a healthy way. In like it reminds the, me of the thing. Yeah, the serious the thing vibes. And it's like, okay, so we'll get into that. But like, just just to finish my point, it's like we, we get to see what happens, but we don't know why. The why isn't remotely addressed. It's just meteor with color, I guess. I guess the color from the meteor is infecting reality, maybe? I don't really know what's the origin of the color. Like, it just sort of shows up every now and again. But like, where does it go when you can't see it? How does it survive? Like all of these things, you don't necessarily need to address these questions either. I still love the film without these things being addressed. However, you're sort of left at the end of it with way more questions than answers. Yeah, but I think it's okay. I mean, I, I am not a huge fan of this film, but I don't mind letting that actually pass because mm -hmm. it is an alien thing. Uh, the characters are also all losing their minds. I, I know. So... I, just, I just think the ability of this color just is so vast, and it's like if you didn't—I I don't know—I I just think maybe you could have streamlined the focus. Like if it affects the technology, okay, just focus on that. If it possesses people and it fucks with their brains, okay, just focus on that. If it fuses shit together, okay, focus on that but it's sort of everything in one. Maybe it's because like the color is also like radiation. Maybe I don't fucking know. I, I think I know a film that is basically this film, but better. Have you seen uh, Annihilation? I is that the one with like, is it Amy Adams? I don't, I forgot who's in it. I'm not sure if it's Natalie Portman or someone else. Uh, basically. And also, uh, I think, uh, the Netflix one as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite good. It reminds me, no, I've just thought of it now. I, could, I didn't think of it till we started discussing how unusual the reality becomes for these characters. But basically, in Annihilation, I'll tell you quickly, uh, a comet or a meteor hits 
hits the earth and it starts distorting reality in a, an area around it. And they send in these people to try to uh, communicate. Um, not so much communicate because I think it's expanding the area that it's destroying and manipulating. Right. And I think I can't remember actually why they go in there. Sounds uh, good. It's actually quite a good film, and I think you should watch it. And I think it's quite similar to this in a way. And actually, I think scarier. There's some really fucking right. freaky bits in there because reality, like the, the texture of uh, the, the fabric of reality is like kind of molding it, itself. So I think you should check that out. I think that's a good comparison to this film, actually. When I, when I watched uh, Annihilation, I wasn't expecting too much from it because I watched it with my wife and I was thinking, ah, it'd be probably just a crap horror film. Uh, but actually there is some good horror in it. Uh, it's quite it's quite good, and um, the ending is also quite weird as well. All right, all right, I'll give that a go. So there's like the annihilation vibes, and the thing. There's a load yeah. of films in this movie. I'll have to give annihilation a go. You've sort of sold me on it. It's, it sounds like it's a cosmic horror movie as well. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally. Should uh, we? Uh, Should we talk about how like uh, so? the fucking alpacas get fused and it looks like the thing. And then the mum and the little boy get fused as well. And yeah, it's, it's a bit fucked fucking, up. It's nuts, isn't it? She's slowly absorbing him or something, right? Yeah. Like reverse pregnancy. Fucking yeah. mad. Fucking mad. I mean, I, I kind of lost so when they first fused. They don't show you much at all, but it, you know, they they give you little glimpses just enough to sort of like, uh, you know, spark your imagination, and then. But when they do finally show it, and it sort of like moves around the room really fast and attacks the daughter, like I think that's when it sort of loses its. Uh, it doesn't look fucking scary at all. Then you you should have kept filming it, like barely seeing it. And that would have been mm. way better. Um, there is there is an odd point there where um, so the first time uh, we see the the alpacas fused together, they're they're chased out of the barn by the 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 color, but mm-hmm. then later Nick Cage's character goes in there just with a shotgun and just shoots the shit out of it and kills it and is not chased by anything, which I thought was a bit odd. Like why would they chase the first time but Nick Cage wasn't? Don't know. Well, because Cage is already sort of like possessed by the colour by now, isn't he? Maybe, maybe. But Who should knows? the colour be killing itself? Because isn't it kind of like the same thing? He's the same as the alpacas well, in a way. He he's having like a sort of inner he's having an inner battle between the colour and like loving his family and shit. Hmm. There, there are like because he has like fragments of there are fragments of his dialogue where we get like bits of his past that he's like being haunted by his past. I think he's like, no dad or something weird like that. In like a sort of yeah. way. Yeah. I think you're right. The, the dialogue's pretty fucking pants in this, but I do like yeah. the alpaca death. The alpaca death's pretty good. Um, I think cage is giving a great performance. We get like a shouty, violent Mandy esque kind of scene where he kills the alpacas. That's fun. I was thinking here and there, like when he's going a bit crazier, I was because he kind of does his accent changes. It becomes a bit more New York-y 
And I'm wondering yeah. if that's supposed to be uh, his father in him coming out. Because they talk yeah. about the farm being his father's first. And then... Yeah, I yeah, got so that impression. I, yeah. Which I, I like that. That was probably the most uh, caginess of the acting that it, he does. It, well, this is it. Cage, whether you like him or hate him, he, every decision he makes, he makes informed... You know, it's an informed decision every time he really considers his choices. So, like, whether you like him or don't like him, the man is always working towards meaning in his performances and his choices. Do, do you think that was something in the script, or do you think that was something Nick Cage thought? Ah, I, I can. I, I bet you Nick Cage was sort of really. I think my dad, my dad was an asshole from New York, and uh, he's going to make an appearance in this scene. The director was like, okay, cool. You do what you do. Go for it, Mr. Coppola. You know, the, the stage is yours. Yeah, I, I like the idea of at least thinking that it was Cage who decided that. I want I hope it to so. be true. I hope so. Um, so we've got... Uh, so my, my, my note that I've written down here is we've got a crab monster family. Oh, look. <laughs> I, is it, I've written my note here crab monster family but oh look how convenient a shotgun just showed up i wonder what's gonna happen here wonder if they're gonna have to shoot the mum the fucking fly style because that's basic they're basically doing the fly as well cronenberg's the fly when yeah. he's all yeah he does kind of come out of the middle of nowhere doesn't he cage at that point just a right mm -hmm. just uh they're, they're, he, goes, they're he goes from like trying to like feed his daughter to the crab monster and then he goes in there and saves her from the crab monster with the shotgun. It's like all he needed was the shotgun, really. Yeah. And I think he also shoots his his son in the face as well, which is a bit, yeah. a bit dark. Um, yeah. Did you like how... I really liked how when they shot uh, the crab monster that there's a pink hue in the blood. It's like the blood's even becoming the colour. I mm. like that. And uh, But the problem is the more they show... The crab monster the worse it looks they did they kind of held back a little bit of, uh, from showing the whole thing but the bits did they you notice did, yeah of course but i think they they shouldn't have i don't think they should have stopped doing it. i don't think there should have been any moment where we got a full glimpse of it i think it should have all been suggested uh because clearly the cgi just wasn't holding up in the mm. few moments that we saw it it just doesn't look good yeah you know, uh, but going back to the hydrologist, though, because this guy was a bit... By the way, he's an English actor. Um, I, I found, yeah, he, he just felt a bit uh, like he's supposed to be our, uh, our hero. And it just felt mm -hmm. a little bit like he could have been a bit more solid. He just felt a bit random. This good-looking yeah. hydrologist who just happens to be around at the same time and wants to do the right thing. Yeah, has this kind of connection for this teenage girl that he barely knows and wants to save her. Yeah, yeah it's super uh, random. It, it, it's, it, it doesn't feel... Yeah, it's sort of out of place. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, but you know, my, my one of my favourite parts of the of the film, actually... Yeah, so he's coming out of the city hall and, like, uh, there's the sheriff or some guy who's in the police and some other guy there. And they've got, like, these mutilated bodies in the back of a, a truck. And he's like, they pretty much just called him over. It's like, hey, hydrologist. 
Do you think there's something strange about these mutilated animal bodies? Like it's just, <laughs> it's a bit weird when you think about it. Oh, the hydrologist <laughs> is the right guy to ask. Show him these dead bodies in the back of the car in this public place. Oh, it's not strange. I know. Well, it's it's, it's like uh, Matthew Broderick in the nineties uh, Godzilla movie, where he's just a guy who's like an expert on worms, and for whatever reason, that makes him the perfect person to deal with Godzilla. Like what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I found his presence just so convenient and unnecessary. Yeah, I I, I didn't need that guy there at all. Yeah. Um, he also even at uh, one point at the end uh, when he's running away from Nick Cage because uh, I think everyone else is dead. He hides in the basement. Like, how does he even know where the basement is? I thought that was a exactly. Bit strange. Uh, but maybe that's the subtext. Maybe this guy's like stalking the daughter, watching the family. Maybe he's an alien and he's and oh, what if he's like one of the color people? Oh, wait, I shouldn't say it like that, should I? And that sounded really bad, yeah. Oh my god, that was really racist sounding. No, what if he's like a person that's been possessed by the color and so, like, it's like maybe he is like an alien or working for the aliens and just posing as a handsome hydrologist, yeah. He, he arrives conveniently a day before the meteor. Arrives. Exactly, he, he arrives a day before the meteor. And may, yeah, maybe, maybe we should we should question how convenient his presence is. Maybe it's convenient for a reason. So yeah, maybe he's a an alien, ah. and he is the only one that survives the house being incinerated. Yeah, again, we're improving a film. No, maybe this is already there. They just don't spell it out for you. Mm, maybe, I hope so. maybe. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, th I think we've pretty much covered Color Out of Space. Uh, do you want to give it? Because there's no real conclusion, just everyone fucking dies. And well, the color just warps up into space. And that's the end of the movie, basically. So, like, should we give it a rating? Well, the thing about this, we were supposed, this is supposed to be a cage match, and actually we've talked a lot more about the sci-fi elements and the story of this film than we actually talked about Nick Cage. I think after, once the mum cuts her fingers off, that's when Nick Cage starts becoming, like, he slowly goes cagier and cagier until, like, by the end of the movie, he is full cage. I would say by the end of the movie, he goes full cage. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. It's a progression, uh, his caginess. Still, I still find that uh, thinking about Cage's later films, he feels less cagey than he used to be. I yes. think maybe that's just because he's getting older. I mean, I think he's now 58 or something. It might be a sign of age, but I maybe it's just that the types of roles he's taking nowadays. Although, again, as we say with like the unbearable weight of talent, I think he could have been a lot bigger for that. But that's why I wanted more of the young Cage, like his imaginary friend in it. I wanted more of him because he was more like that. And I like to see the duality of Cage. I would have loved more of that. I think I think young Cage should have been on his shoulder for the whole movie. I think that would have been... Oh, that would have been fantastic. Like, a, like yeah. a little devil on his shoulder telling him what to do. Yeah. That would have been great. That would have been <laughs> so much better. Um, but sorry, we're talking about Color Out of Space. Sorry, I just really like the unbearable weight of talent. Uh, but yeah, Color Out of Space. I, I really like it. Uh, I, 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 think it, I think it gets like eight Nick Cages out of ten. 
Oh, I would not give it that much. I will give. I didn't it, think you would. I'll give it maybe a six. A because, six, really? Yeah, like it's it's not nuts. bad. It's pretty nuts. But the thing the thing about the the the, the part of the reason of my perhaps yeah. harsh rating in no, your eyes. I, I actually think you're right. I think it's probably a seven. Actually, now that I, I mean, you're still putting it at six, but I do think. I do think eight out of ten is probably too generous. For yeah. in, in as much as it being cagey, so I'm going to go for a seven actually. Okay, well, I talked you down. <laughs> you did, you did. Uh, yeah. It didn't take much, but yeah, you did. No. Uh, but the, but also talking about like an IMBD kind of rating, I would probably also give it about a six as well. Uh, but just because like the the ideas and stuff behind it is is good. The directing is good. It's a good adaptation of something that is often hard to adapt, as you said earlier. Uh, but the thing that really always bugs me, I really get frustrated when I watch something and the dialogue is a bit uh, odd. And it really grates on me a lot. Uh, so that probably that's probably the behind m- most of my rating, actually. Uh, what would have pushed it down? Shit. Hey, still, still better than five. You're just fucking wrong. <laughs> you're, you're just fucking wrong. I mean, I'm allowed look, to be wrong. Look, just like a really brief off the top of the dome. You know, the acting is pretty good from everyone involved. The direction is good. The uh, story and the events within the story are really interesting, and it it grabs you, it hooks you. You want to see what happens. There is this unique idea of a colour. The cosmic horror, as we've said, is really hard to do. They do it really, really brilliantly. Um, I think the cinematography is just breathtaking. There's so many picturesque moments. The tone of the film, the ambience of the film, is just so consistent. Just everything about it is well done. And, okay, maybe you would say that it falls short with its dialogue, but... If you discount the dialogue, you've got a really fucking solid movie there. A really, really solid movie there. So yeah. I, I'm going to rate this quite highly. I'm, I'm giving this thing a fucking eight out of ten. Okay, fair I'm enough. I'm giving it. I'm giving it an eight. Maybe I, ah, you know what? Eight point five. Eight point five. What did you rate uh, the other film? Seven or seven point oh, five. Okay. 7.5, I think I rated the other one. But I gave it eight point five on the cageometer. Mm-hmm. It's okay. definitely. I, I think the unbearable weight of massive talent is definitely a cagier film. But I think Color Out of Space is a better film. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. by what you're saying. Actually, it's 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 within your thought process that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I just can't let the the dialogue bit get me down. Uh, Fair enough. You are a writer after all. Yeah, it does great on me quite a lot. And I'm not so big on horror. So although I do, although I do appreciate like sci-fi and horror here and there, uh, sometimes, uh, I don't know, it's all like, I think a lot of the film is like pastiche, isn't it, for other sci-fi horror films. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I like some pastiche. Sometimes I find it a bit too, I find it lazy. Um, So it doesn't really grab me so much. But then again, you know, they're they're 
they're adapting uh, Lovecraft, right? When you adapt something that inspired so many things, it kind of feels like it's already done because it's, so many things are borrowed from it. For example, like I'm not very big on Sherlock Holmes, but it's not because Sherlock Holmes is bad. It's just that it's so influential that it, it impacts yeah. so many other things that it it, it feels uh, stale. Hmm? It's, it's already lost yeah. its impact on you. It yeah, already feels everything. Every it's been gutted from everything else that is mm-hmm. inspired. So, like that that's yeah. I feel that's kind of a bit done here as well because Lovecraft inspired so many. Uh, horror films mm-hmm. and sci-fi and whatever the hell you want to else put under that umbrella. Uh, yeah, when you adapt it, well, it feels a bit lacking. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I still feel that, the, uh, you know, I, I think making a cosmic horror film is a challenge that I think uh, good directors should should try and, like, go for. Like, they shouldn't shy away from it. Um, I think... I mean, look, we're going to cover Jordan Peele at some point on the podcast, but his most recent one, Nope, really feels like a cosmic horror film. And I, I'd like some more cosmic horror films because they are really hard to pull off. I want to see more movies that try and achieve this tone, this aesthetic, this subgenre. I want to see this more. Um, it just It just depends on the director, I guess. Yeah, true, true. I, I would also like to see more like, of this kind of film, to mm. be honest. And on that bombshell, it's time to say goodbye. Craig, I think we did a good job on the cage match today. Yeah, uh, I was thinking that I when I, when I uh, woke up this morning and thought, okay, we're going to talk about his films, I was thinking, mm, they didn't really grab me so much. But, you know, talking I'm about shocked. them, I feel... Hmm? I'm so shocked. Yeah, but now now that we've spoke about them more, I kind of have a higher opinion of them a bit, I guess, because mm. we've, we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff that's there. And when you really think mm. about it, even if they don't grab you massively, uh, there's still a lot going on. So, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this one. All right. Well, my name's Tobias. I've been your co-host this evening. And <laughs> this, uh, this is Craig. Thanks this for me. Yeah. He's also a co-host. Thanks for coming out for us. We are Film Shrapnel. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, fucking LinkedIn, fucking all that <laughs> love. Wherever uh, you can find us. Wherever you can find us, at Film Shrapnel, capital F, capital S. Uh, Craig, do you have anything to say to the lovers out there? Uh... I won't be so stupid this time in my sign-off. I'll just say thanks for listening, guys. It's been fantastic. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Take care, guys. Bye. Don't shrug, though.